This is Paul. Hi, Paul. How are you? Well, we got stood up. Yeah, big time. What's up with that? Yeah. Do you think, uh, you know, Tim and Wayne are out there recording their own schism podcast? Ooh, the schism podcast returns. A funny books with Wayne and Timmy. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. I buy it. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't listen to it. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think that's what's out there. So when you go out there and you find funny books with Wayne and Timmy, be sure and give it a one star review on iTunes. <laughs> a negative one star review, if possible. Yeah. So I have exciting news, Aaron. Exciting news. Exciting news. How so? Well, um, you know, we skipped last week, so we didn't get a chance to really discuss this news, uh, but it was announced uh, that DC has signed Ava DuVernay uh, to make a New Gods live-action movie. Um, What's an Ava DuVernay? So Ava DuVernay is the... So here's here's where the, the news gets less exciting. Um, <laughs> so Ava DuVernay is the current, uh, or is the director of the currently in theaters Wrinkle in Time. Oh, okay, yeah. And the so, Oprah. yes, and she is also the director of Selma, um, the Martin Luther King movie. Um, okay. So, you know, A Wrinkle in Time, you know, is not is not knocking down the box office, blowing anybody away. It's not really getting great reviews. Um, seen it? Huh? Have you seen it? I have not. Just checking. I, you know, you see a lot of film. Yeah, but I, I you know, I, I got to be honest, it didn't really look terribly interesting. Um, so, but it looks visually spectacular. So I'm hopeful that she'll bring those skills to New Gods, um, and hopefully someone else will write it. But uh, New Gods, I, it, it, from what I hear, solidly placed within the DCEU, so it will tie into some of the established canon that we've already gotten. I would hope so because you know Steppenwolf, you know, makes mention of the New Gods in Justice League. Yeah, you know, but I was concerned because DC seems to be doing all these weird decision making in regards to like yeah. the Joker origin story that's not tied in and the Batman film that's not tied in. And so I was right. worried when they announced the new gods it wouldn't be. My preference is that it would be. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think I think it's a mistake to make movies outside the canon right now for or outside the continuity right now for DC, given that they've had such a shaky start in getting their uh, their stories up. Well, and I appreciate that if they if they do eventually do a tie in with Darkseid into the Justice League or, you know, whatever, um, I think by starting with a New Gods film, that'll help differentiate Darkseid from Thanos. Since Marvel beat them to the punch with Thanos, um, I think by having a specific New Gods movie, like a Star Wars esque film, um, you know, that sets up Darkseid with a focus on Darkseid, that, that'll help people understand how Darkseid's different than Thanos, like the average moviegoer. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're if you're making a new gods movie that doesn't feature dark side, I have no idea how you do that. Uh, I mean, like you can't, you can't because I mean, the main crux yeah. of, of new gods is this Orion. Right. That's my thing is that you can't tell the Orion story without dark side. Right. Yeah. And and so if you're not telling an Orion story, that leaves you – sure, that leaves you all the rest of the new gods, but their whole conflict is you know, being opposed to Apocalypse and the, the dynamic between High Father. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. High Father and Dark Side. So that would be very challenging to, to make that film, I think, or, or to have that story and have it be a, quote, new god story. Agreed. 
So DC, plus, I'm sorry, Desaad and uh, and Darkseid and Orion are the three most interesting characters, you know, in the New Gods, other than perhaps Mister Miracle. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so DC, some advice: do not cast Anthony Hopkins as High Father. Just don't do it. <laughs> that that is the move, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just do not do it. I know it's the low hanging fruit. Do you not know, do it. And Anthony Hopkins doesn't say no anymore to movies. So, you know who'd make a great high father? I've got two actors that would make a great high father. Okay, you ready? Okay, ready? first one, Wilfred Brimley. Is he dead? Right thing to do. Right way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could reanimate his his long deceased corpse, Andy Griffith. Yeah, imagine Matlock as high father. You know, I don't know that I agree with either of your choices. <laughs> <laughs> Not not buying it. Not buying into these options. <laughs> Who would you? Ca- I mean, you know what? We'll talk about this on a future cast so we can have an extended conversation about it because we have a lot sure. to talk about today. But I would like to do like fantasy casting of well, new no, guys. Well, I think that'd be fun. Let's do it next week. We're gonna do it next week. Uh, Tune in next time. All right, guys. See because, you next week. Because, because Tim and Wayne aren't here this week, they won't be prepared. No, which is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll just <laughs> spring it on them. Because they don't listen to the podcast anyway. Oh, that's true. You know who could play High Father? Who's that? Harrison Ford. <laughs> well, he is old. He is he's old. And he's little, not. He's a little cranky for High Father. <laughs> Fair. Uh, well, he's also um, a little old and cranky to be starring in Indiana Jones films. But they're filming a new one starting next year. Uh, With Harrison Ford? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, Steven Spielberg has announced that filming begins next a year for the new Indiana Jones movie. Maybe that maybe there's like, you know, before I'm done, I'd like to shoot one that's not sucky. Yeah. Well, you know, oh. Steven Spielberg has has stated that um, he doesn't feel like Indiana Jones is the type of character like James Bond that you can recast. He feels like Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. And so um, which is sad, really, like I, I feel like, you know, when they talked about Chris Pratt, um, you know, starring in an Indiana Jones reboot years ago, I feel like that would have been perfect. I agree. I um, think Chris Pratt's got that 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 swagger that Harrison Ford has. Mm-hmm. You know, they certainly look nothing alike, right? No. But he's got he's he has a lot of that swagger that that you really respond to in the Indiana Jones films as as well. I mean, I, he'd also do a good Han Solo. I think you could just essentially cast Chris Pratt and everything. Uh, that Harrison Ford's ever done up to and including uh, what was it witness oh yeah yeah <laughs> where, or Air Force he, One he could play a young president get off my plane <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I would have I, I, here's the thing I think with Indiana Jones the story is ripe for telling other tales you don't have to yeah. undo what has previously been told just cast a younger actor and yeah it, this takes place these are other things that happened during the same time frames of world war ii world war one um i think by casting continuing with harrison ford we're now dealing with indiana jones in the 70s roughly th- that is not interesting yeah you know moving the the we have seen that moving pulp characters to a more modern era doesn't really work i mean it's Agreed. rare that, that that is successful um, I think that, that Indiana Jones is best in that 1930s to 1940s period where he can fight Nazis, you know, yeah, agreed. And, and, you know, we've not seen him, you know, 
involved with other elements of the Axis powers, you know. And I mean, there's 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 so many other opportunities there in that period. And plus, the 30s and 40s is is a period where there are still undiscovered corners of of this of the planet, mm-hmm. right? You start moving into the 60s and 70s. As soon as we've got satellite technology in the late 60s. That's kind of done. Yeah, and then and now and now you're making you know Vietnam basically era movies, which again less interesting. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, now this is not to dis, you know discount that there are interesting tales to be set in the Vietnam era. Of course there sure. are, but I don't think an Indiana Jones story is one of them. Well, and you know, Indiana Jones versus the Soviets is not nearly as attractive as Indiana Jones versus the Nazis. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, uh, so Plus, it's a bummer. Everybody. Everybody enjoys seeing a Nazi get punched in the face by 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 uh, Indiana Jones. Well, maybe he'll Every- fight neo Nazis. Oh, there you go, there you go. He can show up in Charlottesville. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it is it is an unusual choice to to just proceed, but um, maybe it'll be the last one. I, I I feel like Last Crusade. Now, after seeing Crystal Skull, I feel like Last Crusade really should have been the last one. Um, especially if the, the way they've continued, but with, uh, George Lucas out of it, um, you know, perhaps they'll, they'll really. So Lucas isn't going to write the script for this one. No, he's, uh, he's just on as, as a consultant and producer. Well, yeah, the more you can move Lucas out of, uh, film production, the better off you are. So yeah, I, I think he just needs to get into things that are passion projects for him. Um, you know, yeah. the, that war dogs or whatever film he did about the, um, world war one fighter pilots. That was pretty decent. Oh, that was terrible, Phil. Uh, Paul, whatever your name is. <laughs> Phil? Did you just call me Phil? I did. I did just call you Phil. Sorry about oh that. Oh, my God. Sorry about that, Phil. <laughs> no, perhaps Phil is my other personality. Perhaps I have many personalities just like Moon Knight. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I can see that. I yeah. can see that. Well, Where's reason- Frenchie? <laughs> Fre- I, I wish I had a Frenchie. That would be nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs a Frenchie. That's true. Well, Steve DeKnight, who is the um, he was the showrunner on Daredevil season one and currently doing the rounds um, amongst the press because he is director of the new Pacific Rim movie. Um, He has stated that if he has a chance to get back into Marvel Netflix, he would really like to be the showrunner on a Moon Knight TV show. And I got to tell you, like, if anyone's going to do it, it would be the dude who did Daredevil. I mean, I think he has the right the right chops for it. I've not seen Pacific Rim 2, uh, but, you know, I've, I've actually heard it's not bad. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, you know, I I love the uh, the, the giant monsters a- attacking each other and, and, and the city and us and us having to build the giant robots. I got kind of enough of that in Pacific Rim. I, I don't really need a Pacific Rim 2. Yeah, I mean, I will see it, and I I think it's a film that I'd prefer to see on the big screen because of the, the giant monster Axione. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I hear you. I hear you. It's not like it was, it, I, I didn't see a need for a sequel. Yeah. Um, That's my thing is, is I just didn't need the sequel. I, I feel like modern day kaiju films are, take themselves a bit too seriously. Well, um, yeah. I mean, you don't need all the backstory about why, why the, uh, robot pilot is all angsty. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, all I need to know is you've got a robot pilot who's kicking the shit out of some giant monsters. Yeah. Well, and then you get into the Godzilla, which wasn't very good, or the Kong Skull Island, which wasn't very good. Um, but I'm hopeful for Rampage, which comes out in a couple weeks. God, that looks so fucking awesome. Because that looks like a film that will at least have fun with it. Yeah, I know. That that, that uh, uh, Rampage looks amazing. Yeah. 
Plus, how can you how can you not love a movie with The Rock in it? Come on, <laughs> Rock does plenty of shitty movies. Um, no, no, you no. take it back, Paul. Well, you haven't seen Baywatch. That's true. I have not. <laughs> I haven't seen most of the movies that The Rock has made. That's fair. Uh, so, well, let's talk about something a little less pleasant for a minute. Um, Meltdown Comics is closing. Uh, announced this week, Aaron. That that is crazy to me. Uh, Meltdown, which has been in business for 25 years in L.A., mm-hmm. uh, had, it's not just a comic book shop. I mean, these guys did what everyone, you know, said comic shops needed to do. It needed to be more than just a place you bought your comics. You know, if you're going to stay in business in the day and age of digital comics and uh, online retailers, that you really had to diversify. And they had become a hub for the community. They had become an event space. Uh, I can't tell you how many uh, podcasts recorded there. Uh, how many different events you know happen there? They have they have you know live comedy there. I mean, it's I, I, it's one of the few reasons that I wanted to visit Los Angeles again was so that I could go to Meltdown Comics um, and see that space. But no, they the owner announced, or one of the co-owners, I should say, announced this week that you know after 25 years of business they would be closing. They did not cite a reason for their closing, so we don't know if it was sales or business. Uh, speculation is is that there is a new real estate development going on in their neighborhood, and that uh, uh, that could be the reason that maybe they've lost their lease. But I'm I'm super sad to hear that. I mean, you know, I've never been there. But I I have heard many many podcasts recorded there, and I know that uh, that a lot of people just you know hold it in extremely high regard. Yeah, I, I, I've never been there. Um, I think it's just a you know an unfortunate an unfortunate symptom of today's uh, you know I mean we we've heard about stores like Claire's and Toys R Us um, you know reaching the end of their life cycles. It's just you know we're we're dealing with yeah. online sales and, and Toys R box stores. Toys R Us had it coming though. It kind of did. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer, well, you know, but it's 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 you know. Well, you know, you it. think about it. Toys R Us put out of business all the little mom and pop toy stores uh, back in the eighties. I I remember there used to be this wonderful toy store here in town uh, called Toys by Roy, and you know they did TV commercials and they had just the most unusual selection of toys, and you know they immediately went out of business when Toys R Us opened up. Uh, and so, I mean, that's what happens is, you know, we, we see that we see the Amazonification of uh, retail, you know, where where uh, stores are having a hard time keeping up with, you know, the ease and savings that Amazon offers in yeah. its online shopping experience. And I think that's what's happening with Toys R Us. I think the big the big downfall for that is that there's we're running out of places to browse. Yeah. You know. That that's the thing. I mean, like you know, you enjoy going to the toy stores and seeing you know what toys are coming out for a given event, right? Uh, you know, we we we've got lots and lots of videos of you doing just that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I think that's the thing. It's the same thing with books. It, it's just getting harder and harder to explore new things, and I think that's one of the failures of online retailers. Is that, yeah, they have some of the suggestions, hey, you read this, you might like that, or you bought this, you might want to buy this. Um, I think that's the thing is it's getting harder and harder to browse. And you really – sometimes you want to hold it in your hand. You know, you, you want to yeah. be able to hold that, that, that box toy in your hand and going, is this something I really want? Exactly. You know, sometimes the, the, the 
the retailer pictures or the pictures from the uh, the company, you know, don't necessarily do an item yeah. justice. And no, absolutely. You know, I hear a lot of the I, one. Some of the comments I've heard about Toys R Us closing are you know, that it's good, good for the small guy. You know, go you know support your local businesses, blah blah blah. Yep. And I gotta say, no, because as you can see by meltdown closing. Um, that's not what's happening. It's not like people are going to automatically go to the small retailer and overpay for items. I think that's what, if people were unwilling to pay Toys R Us prices, they're certainly going to be unwilling to pay your local comic shop prices. Well, I don't know that it, I, I honestly, I don't know that it had to do with price perhaps at Toys R Us. I think it had to do with the fact that good God, I have to go to Toys R Us. Couldn't I just, my, my kid is telling me what toy he wants. I'll just go on Amazon and buy it or I'll go on walmart.com and buy it. Yeah. And I think Toys R Us just didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't keep up with the times. I agree. I mean, you know, I think the last time I was inside Toys R Us was, must've been Batman versus Superman. And I had gone in to see what the BVS toys look like. And I remember walking through there going, wow, there's a whole lot of wasted space in this store. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's like it had I think one of the issues for me anyway is that they used to need all that space, and it seems like they probably didn't for a while. They didn't need yeah. as much space as they had. Yeah. So that's yeah, a shame. It is a shame because I mean I used to you know back when when I was a boy, I, the one of the, there were two reasons I went to work when I was twelve years old, <laughs> and the first reason was that my big brother wouldn't let me choose stations on television, so I wanted to go to work so I could buy my own TV. So I could buy my own TV and I could watch Star Trek any goddamn time I wanted to watch Star Trek, you know, whenever it was on Channel 21 or Channel 39. But, uh, you know, back when you had to, you know, uh, tune UHF by like cracking a, a safe, mm-hmm. you know, spinning the dial and you know just trying really hard to kind of get it in. Anyway, so I bought my first TV with my first job. And the other reason I got a job was so I could buy Micronauts because oh, yeah. my – because my allowance wasn't affording me the uh, the the Micronaut slush fund that I really needed, because I needed to buy the Micronauts battle cruiser. I needed to buy the you know Planetary Galactic Lab. You know I needed there are many many things that I needed to buy that that sadly my allowance wouldn't support. Ah, uh, Aaron, and you and your so Micronauts. I, I spent a lot of time at Toys R Us buying Micronauts. Understandable. A lot of time. So <laughs> yeah, I mean it's sad to see it go. You know I was a Toys R Us kid. Yeah, I, th- I think most of us and our listeners were. Yeah. So I hope Jeffrey can find himself another job. No, well, I mean, I'll hire him. Yeah, yeah. He, can be, he can be funny books Jeffrey. He'll work on Team Paul. He will. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of uh, news items that I read this week, I had forgotten that the sequel to 300, the comic book sequel to 300, uh, was still being done. Um, and I remember it being announced a while back and like years ago that, you know, Frank Miller has been supposedly working on the sequel to 300 for 10 damn years now. And then I remember it being announced earlier this year. And then all of a sudden I, there was an article about it this week because it's due out on April 4th, Xerxes, the fall of the house of Darius and the rise of Alexander issue one comes out, um, April 4th. And I gotta be honest, like, I'm, I'm surprised this is happening. Yeah, well, I, I I will just you know caution caution our readers wait for the trade, yeah, because you know it's not coming out on time. I'll tell you that right now. No, um, I, <laughs> I, I will say I'm going to pick up the first issue. Just I I am I'm, I'm not going to wait for the trade on the first issue, and and 
I feel bad saying this, but I'm picking it up more out of morbid curiosity than I am out of being a fan of Frank Miller. Because you want to see what a train wreck it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, his last work, his last interior work, I mean, excluding some mini comics in the uh, DK3 series was, but his last long form interior work was um, Holy Terror, which was holy shit bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and his, his art has definitely kind of, and I, I know it's health issues and things like that, but his art has fallen off a cliff. And I, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised that people are still investing in him as a creator and as an artist. I, you know, here's what I don't understand is you're right. His, his artwork has seriously degraded over the years. Um, and for whatever reason, I mean, some of the, I think some of its style choices, I think some of its health. Yeah. But he has become so hyper stylized, it's difficult to discern often what's going on in the, on a panel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that he he is his recent work crafts a very poor visual narrative. But I don't know why you wouldn't hire him to write. Why not? You know, like they did that on uh, on the, the Dark Knights, the recent Dark Knight series. Yeah. Right. Where Adam Kubert or is it? Yeah, it's Adam. Right. It was Adam. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where Adam's doing the artwork. And again, oh, no, I'm sorry. Good. It was Andy. It was Andy. What, one of the Cooperts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you've got, you know, a very competent artist doing the illustration. I think that's what you do with Frank Miller these days. Maybe you have him do a variant cover as they had him do, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't hire him to do a long form story. No. I don't understand that. And, you know, DC has hired him for five years, five projects, uh, as one of their, you know, uh, high-ranking creators, and I'm like, why? <laughs> well, he's doing, he's doing, he is doing writing. You know, I think one of the products of that is going to be that Superman Year One story that uh, John Romita Jr. is doing the art on. Yeah, so a book I won't be picking up because you know, you, you what I like is that they have paired two creators that I can't abide any longer. Which is a uh, shame know, because those were creators that made me buy books. No, you're absolutely right. You know, Back 15, in the day. 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, when when Frank Miller was in his prime and he was doing, you know, The Dark Knight Returns and he did Ronan, uh, you know, those uh, Daredevil, you know, those books really lit my fire. But I just can't bear to read a lot of his agenda uh, any longer, nor can I can I bear to look at his art. And I got to tell you, John Romita Jr., I, I need him to go back and look at some of his older stuff and go, oh, that's how you draw. Not because, even his seventies stuff. I mean, he can look at his nineties stuff, and I'll be no, happy. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just you know, go back and look twenty years ago, John. <laughs> yeah, and, and realize that the thing you're doing now ain't working. No, and I feel like some of that is also a, a symptom of different um, assisting talent. You know, perhaps different inkers, different colorists. But I, don't, I think I don't know. He's had some. He's had some pretty talented guys working with him. I think it's he. He has again adopted a style that he can't seem to break free from, you know, he, he, you know, artists develop a shorthand, right. You know, that this is, this is where I go. And as, as they age, you know, as they be, as they mature into their craft, they continue to refine that shorthand and they understand, I don't have to do all these little pieces. I can do this and it communicates the same thing and it's every bit as effective. Problem is, is that at some point, uh, John Romita Jr. should have made that left turn at Albuquerque. (laughs) Because <laughs> he, he is going way down the wrong path. Yeah. We're way gonna, down the path. We, we're going to have a very interesting art conversation later on in the podcast. So, <laughs> um, you know, so 
let's talk about some DC stuff. The, we're hitting the DC portion of the show. Um, uh-huh. You know, on creators, creators that do still excite me. Um, it, it was announced this past week that Scott Snyder is teaming up with Jim Chung and Jorge Jimenez on the first arc of the new Justice League book, which hey, features that- a Justice League very similar to um, the Justice League from the animated series, the Bruce Tim animated series. Pretty much the same cast, um, except with the addition of Cyborg, because DC wants to shove Cyborg down our throats. I am pretty excited about this. Oh, yes. You know, I, I, uh, you know, uh, we'll only get Jim Chung for like the first three issues, but uh, damn. Yeah. I mean, Jim Chung is doing beautiful work over on Marvel 2 and 1. Those pages are just gorgeous. Well, not anymore. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly, and you know he doesn't he doesn't stick anywhere. But when where where he is, those books are. I mean, you don't even have to read the words; those those uh, pages are just gorgeous. Well, my hope uh, is that Olivier Copiel will follow up, right? Because he's been yeah. doing DC work, and it well, and, a book. You know, all of those Copiel uh, variant covers are just stunning. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm excited about that, and I like that we're going to get a real writer over on Justice League. It feels like Justice League is going to be made an event book again. And I I appreciate that DC thought that bringing Brian Hitch on would make Justice League an event book. But Brian Hitch is just not that guy for me anymore. The problem is, is that Brian Hitch isn't a writer. Uh, Try as he might. And I I don't get me wrong. I appreciate that, that, you know, artists want to grow and, hey, I I can tell a visual story. Why can't I tell a narrative story? Um, the, the problem is, is that they need to not try it out on a book as high profile as justice league. Agreed. And I'm sure, I'm sure that that's how they lured Brian Hitch over is that, Hey, you come over to DC comics, you can, you can draw for us and we'll let you write justice league. I'm sure that that was the thing, but damn, that was painful on me, <laughs> you yeah. know? And here I am a guy who desperately wants to read a justice league book and, uh, DC is not producing one. No. Not you know. one that I want to read, right? No, it's, not at all. Not at all. So in I fact, think Justice I, League is one you have to play safe. I just think you have to play safe. You have to bring in blockbuster talent, but you can't just tell weird ass stories. You know, you well, can't tell you can't I, tell indie stories. Like that's got to be your big your blockbuster book. Unless you're Grant Morrison, because Grant Morrison got away with that in his Justice League run. He did. He did. But, you know, not everybody's Grant Morrison. And I'll tell you, most of those stories really don't don't uh, float my boat. But, uh, you know, I I am really I love Justice League books and I want to see a Justice League book where, you know, the heroes are hanging out. You know, where they're hanging yeah. out at the watchtower and, and, and having real conversations as opposed to, you know, stopping the earth from exploding every single week. But I also want to to feel like I'm connecting with those guys. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the, been the problem with the Justice League run. And I'll tell you, even with Jeff Johns on the new 52 launch of Justice League, I did not care for those books. And I think you and I disagree on this because I think you like some of that. I did. I like. I didn't. I hated the first arc, but uh-huh. I, I I I really liked Throne of Atlantis. I liked a couple of those story arcs. Yeah. I just uh, I, I want. I really, 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 really want to have and like a Justice League book, and uh, so I'm hopeful because I like Scott Snyder's writing. Yeah. I, I just really want DC to throw hundred dollar bills at. Jonathan Hickman until he's coming to write for them. Yeah. I really just want him to do that. Like, I don't care if it's new gods or justice league, just make it a big pro, a high profile book and get Jonathan Hickman over there some way, somehow. Yeah. Hickman on a, on a new gods book would be outstanding. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, um, Justice League comes out in May and the DC solicits for May came out. Um, and in there are these is the start of the new Man of Steel series, the 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 new Brian Michael Bendis introduction, you know, five um, weekly issues, different artists on every issue. Um, now, I'm, I'm just going to read something from the first issue. Uh, not, not, I'm going to I'm going to read the solicit for the first issue. A new era begins for Superman as a threat from his earliest origins reemerges to destroy the last son of Krypton. As Superman struggles to come to grips with ha- with what has happened to his wife and son, he must also face a new threat that's determined to burn down Metropolis. Now, obviously, there's something in there that concerns me greatly. Uh-huh. Something happened to his wife and son? Yeah. Yeah. Um I I I you know, he Bendis has said he's not throwing anything away, so I'm 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 going to hope that they're just like kidnapped or missing or something because damn it, don't don't screw up my Jonathan Kent. Yeah, I think it would be a colossal mistake for DC to get rid of uh, Jonathan and Lois at this point. I agree. I think um, you know I, I I understand letting Bendis do whatever he wants, but uh, I think the. I think DC's already tried the the let's reboot Superman to a younger single individual and it doesn't work. Well, and the the they've had more success with Superman in the last couple of years with, you know, him being the the uh uh pre-new 52 Superman returning yeah. than they've had with Superman in years and years and years. Um, I think it's a mistake to drive away from that. I think you innovate with story. You don't you don't innovate with like, let's change up his, all of his relationships, uh, you know, like change up the key relationship like he doesn't have a son anymore. Yeah, I, I, that I think ch- that, that I think that solicit is intentionally concerning and I'm hopeful it's just to make us sus- in, wait in suspense so that we'll, you know, be happy when Jonathan and Lois come out of the series. Fine. Yeah. Now we we do, you know, we did get the the uh, note from Pete Tomasi telling us that, you know, there are plenty more uh, Jonathan Kent and yeah. uh, Damian Wayne stories to come. So I'm hopeful there. Yeah, I think we're OK, but it's still a concerning, uh, a concerning uh, solicit. But, you know, since we're talking about Superman, we might as well talk about the big Superman thing this week, which was the f- pilot episode of Krypton uh, airing this week on Sci-Fi Channel after a um, a very good uh, half-hour special um, that was more about the legacy of Superman and brought in creators like Bendis and Jeff Johns, um, and just kind of like only a third of it was really about the Krypton show specifically. Yeah. Re- remarkably little of it was about the, yeah. the Krypton show, which shows. was great it, for me. You know, I love that stuff. Oh, same here, same here. I you know, give me all the comic book documentaries, right? Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed seeing that, and it cracks me up that. You know, the, the first Bendis Superman book hasn't even come out yet, but yet, you know, Bendis is in there, you know, commenting in, uh, on, the, yeah. on the history of Superman like he is a, a, an acknowledged Superman expert, which I guess, I mean, you know, he's he's read a ton of Superman books as evidenced by his Instagram getting uh, ready for this job. But, you know, it just kind of cracks me up that, you know, and, you know, a, acknowledged Superman aficionado, Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he must have quit Marvel, walked across the street and shot that documentary. I mean, basically, because if, if you look at it, they, you know, they also have Scott Snyder in there and it says right. writer on Justice League like this. Right. That was filmed like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy how quickly they, they, they appear to have turned that around. But the, the making of was very enjoyable and got me super jazzed, uh, you know, pun intended for Krypton. And, you know, the the look of Krypton 
uh, in the show, the the special effects and the shooting of it, it is very much in the line of some of the prestige television that we've seen. Absolutely. Um, you know, it the it it's uh, special effects uh, and camera work are right there on par with things like Game of Thrones, uh, Star Trek Discovery. I mean, it's very it, it's very high dollar. I think the only thing that kind of takes away from that, you know, prestige television format that, that they seem to be going for is the fact that it is a very CW esque casting. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the cast are, you know, uh, young twenties, uh, you know, and that's the story that they're telling. So, I mean, you could kind of squint your eyes and go, yeah, I could see this on the CW, but Absolutely. that, as, that aside, I enjoyed the hell out of this episode. Paul. I thought it was a really good episode. And one thing that, that really warmed my heart is the um, inclusion of the John Williams Superman theme. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, leaned hard into, well, and into uh, the, the Donner films sort of design aesthetic, right. Yeah. For like, you know, uh, the fortress and, and things like that. Plus a lot of things that are very comic specific, um, you know, these, you know, David Goyer wrote the pilot, uh, and, and he is, uh, the showrunner, I believe. And, you know, he, you know, he knows his comics and appears to really know his Superman because, wow, there's all kinds of, of little cookies in, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Easter eggs in this thing. I, I can't get over how good it looks. It, it does. It looks good. It is, it is a mixture of, of, you know, Christopher Reeve era man of uh, Superman, as well as man of steel, um, the movie, because, you know, it includes things like the, uh, the birthing chamber right. and, and which wasn't specific to man of steel, but man of steel was also written by David Goyer. Um, but well, it, and it does, it does feel very much like, Hey, we got this whole box of yeah. ideas for man of steel that we really didn't do anything with in the films. Let's make a show. Yeah. I could certainly see this as a predecessor to man of steel. Absolutely. Um, though it includes time travel, which has not been established in the DCEU, because we have the uh, inclusion of Adam Strange, which I was concerned because he's he pops up in the beginning and like disappears after five minutes. I'm like, I'm going to be pissed if, if you know, all this talk about Adam Strange and he's only in the show for five minutes. But then he pops up again. So and he looks like he's um, appearing in well, a remember more his costume based situation later on in the series. Well, and, you know, just remember that, you know, his Zeta beam has a time limit on it. So, it, you know, it snatches him back yeah. at the end of that period. So, so yeah, I, enjoyed I, it. I did, too. I did, too. Uh, I, I, I very much enjoyed uh, this this episode and, and am stoked for, you know, the, the, the rest of it. I was also surprised to see that George R.R. R. Martin has a show getting ready to hit sci-fi in the fall. And it is uh, called Night Flyers. Yes. I think that's what it's called, uh, which is a, a, a essentially a ghost story on a spaceship that looked pretty creepy. It did look good. You know, it's fine. What, what irritated me about the commercial for that is they were like, you've never seen anything like this. And I'm like, well, we kind of have like, you know, Event Horizon, I mean, Event Horizon <laughs> the original Alien is described as a haunted house movie on a spaceship. Like we've seen it plenty of times, but the series does look good. And hopefully, um, you know, they'll keep it tight and concise. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a five season scenario or a 20 episode scenario. Hopefully it's just nice and tight and well done. Um, but yeah, Krypton, thumbs up. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing where the series goes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So and I'm sure you'll hear more of that right here 
on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Absolutely. So earlier in the show, we talked about the new gods. Um, and last week, Mr. Miracle number seven came out, um, which uh, it reveals the birth of uh, Mr. Miracle, Scott Freeze, and uh, Big Barda's child, uh, whose name is... Uh, do you remember off the top of your head, Aaron? Pete. It's not Pete. <laughs> um, his name is... I don't remember. But Petey. It's not Petey. Jacob. I'm pretty sure. Jacob. Or Petey. No, his name's Jacob. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, the the storyline, uh, you know, is heavily inspired by what's going on in artist Mitch Gerard's real life. Uh, you know, he, his wife just had a child. And so, you know, this is a very personal storyline for him and Tom King. However, because, um, you know, his wife just gave birth to a child, even though they just took a skip month, they'll be taking another skip month here. I think after issue eight, uh, just, you know, because of real life, uh, which is a, a bummer. But, you know, congrats to Mitch Jarrods. But, you know, it's a, it's a bummer that this series uh, is getting delayed because it is so good. And um, I will say there's, there, is a, there is a hint in this issue that it's all fake. Well, and there's, there's been a hint throughout, right? That... Yeah, but there's a significant hint, which is where uh, Scott Free refers to the baby. He says he just looks like a lump. Right. And um, I don't remember if you recall the uh, Mr. Miracle story featuring a character called the lump. Oh no, I sure don't. So um, there is a, a character called the lump. Hey, that was created by granny goodness. Um, and the, uh, it's totally immobile, but it had psychic powers. And what the lump did is it got into Mr. Miracle's mind and trapped him in a dream landscape. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, um, the, the, the Superman story with Starro, not Starro. Um, yeah, no, the the not the, the but um, Mo, Mongol who had the thing. I'm trying to remember the for the man who had. Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, black uh, shoot. I know it's yeah, yeah, but it's for the, man, your, what the a, plant, right? Yeah, the plant. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to that, you know, because it, by trapping Scott Free in a in a dream like state where he's happy. Um, you know, that, 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 that is the inescapable trap because he doesn't want to escape. And I, this seems, and, and there's a reference to when Scott Free says the baby looks like a lump. I, right. I'm thinking that, that, that's what we're dealing with here. We're going to see the lump and it's a, it's a shame because, you know, things are, you know, this is, this is a really good issue. Well, I, I gotta tell you, I, I love, I love this book so much. And, you know, they, they came back from the break and it's really strong with, you know, Barda in labor um, I think one of my favorite things is the running gag through the story where uh, Scott Free is suggesting baby names. Yeah. And he's like, you know, what about Star Razor? No. Thunder Death? No. Throne Killer? No. <laughs> <laughs> and it just runs throughout the book. It's also a very vulnerable uh, sort of story yeah. with you don't expect to see Barda – being frightened in labor because you've never seen her frightened anywhere else. No, you know, and she, she is certainly no stranger to pain, but you know, that fear is she's worried about the baby. You know, she's not worried for her. She's worried for the baby. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think this is just a beautiful story. Um, I, I love that the furies come to sit in the waiting room for, for Barda to give birth. 
Yeah. You know, and, I love you know, that the, you know, generally I don't like covers that are misleading, but I love how misleading the cover on this book is. Right. Right. Yeah. It shows the Furies like in full get up, you know, holding the, the masks and the, the crown of um, Mr. Miracle and Barda. But in the inside the book, they're, they're just kind of in the waiting room waiting for the baby to be born. Right. Yeah. Not there to fight, though. You know, one day, you know, I'll use this knife to kill you. But yeah. here, you might need it to cut the umbilical cord. <laughs> uh, I love, you know, there's the, the scene where, okay, you know, uh, daddy, you hold mama's leg over here. I'll hold the other leg, you know, so that uh, the baby can come. And, you know, her leg is bigger than Scott Free. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, because she's Big Barda. I, I just, I, I love this book. I think, I think it's just fantastic. And I just, I just get a ridiculous smile on my face when I read Mr. Miracle. It, it is just such a, an expertly told book that couldn't be told by any other creator. Yeah. And, and this was our our uh, book of the year uh, in the funnies last year. And it is well on its way to me in book of the year for me anyway for 2018 because I just damn, it's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so DC is building up to another big event with the wedding of Batman in issue number 50. And, uh, you know, I'm humping back to the solicitations um, for May that I was talking about earlier, because in those May solicits, we uh, get a look that there is a series of one shots called Batman Prelude to the Wedding uh, that will pit some of Batman's greatest allies against his greatest foes. Um, there are five one shots that will hit shelves across May and June prior to Batman number 50. Um, so they, they're all written by Tim Seeley. Um, and so we have Nightwing versus Hush, Robin versus Ra's al Ghul, Batgirl versus the Riddler, Red Hood versus Anarchy, and Harley Quinn versus the Joker. And I think this is all like leading up to uh, to the wedding. Some some you know big battle books. I'm not entirely you, sure how they tie in, but do you remember when uh, Lois and Clark got married? Yes. And like all the superheroes took over for Superman so that they could get married without incident, and then honeymoon. Yeah. I wonder if they're doing something similar for Batman. This seems like because they all reference like on the eve. So this might be yeah. like, you know, you know, clearing up Gotham for for one day type of thing, like you said. Yeah. So should be interesting. But, you know, we're, we're, we're getting the lead up now. I mean, that the, the, this what the speaking of Tom King, who wrote Mr. Miracle, he's also the writer on Batman. And we're, we're getting the lead up to that that wedding storyline in the pages of Batman currently. Yeah. Um, so they, they concluded the storyline, Everyone Loves Ivy, part three, um, Tom King, Michael Jannon. And uh, this we, we talked about this storyline and you are not a Poison Ivy fan. I am not. I, I just rarely I, I like the design of the character. Um, I always think that, that it's a really interesting design, but I've just never liked Poison Ivy and generally don't like any story Poison Ivy is uh, heavily featured in. And that has been true of this arc. As much as I enjoy the the writer-artist team on this book, uh, I just, man, I have a hard time with it. I, and there have certainly been some some interesting items in this story, uh, like, you know, Batman allowing himself to be punched to death by Superman and then, you know, resurrected by, you know, science. Science. Um, <laughs> But uh, I still didn't like this book, and despite the fact that I think it's a really interesting reveal about how broken Poison Ivy is and how guilty she feels over what she did for the Riddler for the Riddler uh, <laughs> during the uh, the War of Jokes and Riddles. And we find out 
that she didn't actually kill these five guys that she thought she killed because, you know, she thought she killed them because Riddler told her so. And it uh, turns out that the the Riddler came behind and killed them. Yeah. Um, you know, it, a certain, some aspects of the story bugged me because because we are kind of dealing with a scenario where we're, we're kind of pre-Flashpoint continuity mixed with post-Flashpoint continuity. I didn't like the fact that Har- that Poison Ivy was so guilty over something that happened in the Year of Jokes and Riddles, which is a storyline that happened in this Tom King arc. Yeah. As if nothing had happened between then and now. Like, she's killed many people, as far as I'm aware yeah. of. I mean, she's been a villain for damn near 50 yeah. years. So the fact that they are... Um, you know, they're like, well, you know, we're, we're really only referencing that one storyline that you you know because it was in the last 50 issues of Batman. Um, you know, that, that I don't like when, when artists do that or when creators right. do that. Yeah. Um, I, I did find it interesting that, and I don't know how you took it, but it, it you know, the implication that Harley and Ivy are, are more than friends. It did seem like uh, it was a little bit more intimate than just friends. Yeah, I mean the way Batman described them, you know, it's 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 a visual uh, page, but there's there's two page there's a, a page with two panels, um, and it it the implication is that there is a, you know a more intimate relationship there. Yeah, and it certainly felt that way. Yeah, which I mean pe- people have been saying for years they're they're not just best friends, but um, you know it, I think there's uh, there's there's we've never seen it really addressed in the pages of incontinuity stories. Right. No, I agree. I, you know, the, the pages that I like in the book are the Catwoman Batman pages. Mm-hmm. And, and that has been true of this entire run that I really enjoy how he's writing uh, Catwoman and Batman, other than the fact that he calls her cat and she calls him bat. That takes the tar out of me. Yeah. But uh, you know, I love the rest of it. Um, I like that you know they have they are adopting a a uh, a, a thought or you know a a position a point of view that it's them against the world and as long as they've got each other they're great you know and I I just I, I dig it I dig it well let's hop over to the Marvel side of the fence because I've I've been anxiously awaiting us talking about Mighty Thor number seven oh five which features the actual death of the Mighty Thor Jane Foster. Um, because I have some ex- some some strong thoughts on this book. Strong thoughts, as opposed to your usual weak thoughts. Yes, I have mighty thoughts. Mighty thoughts. Um, Paul's Paul's mighty thoughts. Paul's mighty thoughts. Uh huh. So I tell I, me your mi- tell tell me your mighty thoughts, Paul. D- prove your mightiness. I uh, while I liked the way the story has wrapped up. I liked the writing. I liked the, you know, I, I, I liked what Jason Aaron contributed to the book. I'm normally a fan of Russell Dodderman. I love his, <laughs> his Jeff Darrow esque style, but I think the, the thing I like about Jeff Darrow so much is that Jeff Darrow is a, a super detailed, intricate artist, yeah, but he knows detailed. to, yeah, yeah, but he knows to pull back the camera. Yep. You know, for, for lack of a better term, so that, you know, even though there's so much going on, you understand what's going on. Yeah. I felt like 90% of this book, I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. No, absolutely. And that, that was exactly my issue with it. And I can't tell if it's a Dodderman issue or a Matthew Wilson issue because Matthew Wilson's the color artist. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't it, tell. It just was it, there was almost it, it's a weird description. There were too many damn lines on these yeah. pages. Well, and like the the first big splash page where uh, Thor 
picks up the hammer and whacks Magog or Mangog in the face, uh-huh. I you can barely understand what you're looking at. Yeah. There is so much swirl of lightning, and I think that's color artist. I think so too, uh, and and lettering, and, you know, because there were, you know, pieces where the lettering was terrible too. Yeah, no, I, 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 that was my thought as well, Paul. I thought the the however or whoever is responsible for it, the artwork is kind of a mess throughout the book, which is not to say that it's not well drawn, but you just can't tell what's going on. Which I guess means that it's not well drawn, but I mean, it's not like I'm saying I hate the way he draws Jane Foster. What I hate is, you know, they're trying to elevate the the action and the risk and the complications by throwing all this stuff on there to demonstrate how chaotic everything is. The problem is, is I can't see through the chaos. Exactly. You know, it's almost <laughs> like uh, it's almost like watching the Jason Bourne movies, right, where the camera's yeah. so close and so shaky, you don't know what's going on. I mean, yeah. that is genuinely how this book feels. There are panels where I, I I know people are supposed to be fighting. You can't tell. You genuinely cannot tell what is going on. And I know, you know, they, they produced this book. So someone had to say, nope, this looks great. Let's do it. The page that immediately follows the page I just described where uh, Thor, you know, hits Mangog in the face with her hammer right after she picks it up. The immediate page is four panels. I don't understand what's going on in 75% of that page. Agreed. There are three panels. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but you know what's sad is the 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 final couple of pages after the fight is done, right. you know, and 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 we we have a moment to breathe, and Jane Foster is talking to Thor um, amongst the wreckage of the final battle, knowing that she's about to die, you know, and she she gives Thor one final kiss. Well done, yeah, <laughs> extremely well done. Well, it was, it like was the, the action bits of the book that that should be epic um, that got lost in the in the detail. Well, like the the page where she has tied uh, Mangog up with you know the, the the cable tied to the hammer. Yeah, you know all of that looks great. I understand exactly what's going on there, but uh, yeah, I just ugh, it's it's disappointing because this is such an important uh, book in the overall arc of this character. Yeah, and so much of it is just indecipherable. It is, and it, you know, going back to deaths of major characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, let's talk about the death of Superman briefly now that Wayne's not on the podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, that that Superman number 75 knew to pull back the camera and that this was an epic battle. So what they you know, what they did in that storyline is they started. It was a six issue storyline, I believe. And they started with six panel pages. Then the next issue had five panel pages, then four, then three, then yeah. two. And finally, Superman's number 75 was all full page spreads. Um, that where you you knew the battle that was going on. There was no yeah. no no trying to decipher the art um, from Dan Jurgens on that issue. And I feel like um, this issue would have benefited from a similar pullback. This is epic. This is epic. Yeah. I don't want. I don't need small panels on on Thor versus the Mangog. Give me the epic battle. I I already know what's going on. Jane Foster has sacrificed her life to fight this guy. You don't need to re-explain anything to me. Just show me the fight. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame that the story, um, that the art got in the way of the story. Cause again, normally a huge fan of Russell Dodderman. Um, yeah. so perhaps it's not him. Perhaps it is the coloring. Perhaps it is the, uh, lettering. Um, or perhaps it's just a combination of all three. Uh, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it was just indecipherable. Yeah. No, it was, it was overall terrible. 
Yeah. Well, and speaking of terrible things, um, well, so let's <laughs> let's start this by saying something good about this. Marvel, for some crazy awesome reason, has decided. You know what? Our for a limited time, all of our trade paperbacks upon release, at least for that first week, are going to be um, ninety nine cents. cents. Yeah, and these are books that are typically anywhere between you know sixteen dollars and twenty dollars. So huge savings. Yeah, I mean, just I don't know why they're doing it. They haven't, you know, they haven't really made a big deal out of it, um, but they're doing it, and and yeah. because of it, I'm picking up things that I wouldn't normally pick up, including this week they released an Infinity War Prelude, which again is not something I would normally pick up because those storylines generally are just useless. Um, But I picked it up for 99 cents and uh, you, well, Aaron and I picked it up, I should say. Yeah. um, We, we should, we should reiterate the 99 cent deal is for the digital media. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not for the, for the uh, print volumes, but you know, if you're a, if you're a digital comics buyer, damn, you can't pass up 99 cents. I picked up uh, three Marvel masterworks this, this week uh, each for 99 cents. And those are usually 20 bucks a pop. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say, uh, this, this, um, so the Avengers Infinity War prelude includes not just Avengers Infinity, the, the, the prelude to the movie storyline, which is just a two, two, um, you know, collection of two comics. It also includes the uh, zero issue and the first issue of Jonathan Hickman's Infinity, as well as the uh, Thanos Annual, which was written by Jim Starlin with art by Ron Lim that came out a couple years back, um, so if you're picking it up and you haven't read those other two pieces of it, that's what's worth reading. But this yeah, Infinity absolutely. War prelude is garbage. God, it's terrible. It's terrible. You know, I, I got my comics read pretty early this week. You know, normally I'm a, I am I read Friday night for our Saturday morning recordings, but I got most of my books read Wednesday night. So I'm like, oh, OK, well, I'll get cracking on this Infinity War thing. And I got to tell you, I got how far did I get in this? I'm going to check. I got in six pages and gave up the ghost because <laughs> I read I read both issues. Did you really? I I, I gotta tell you, I, the the artwork was terrible. The story was t- terrible. You know, a lot of it. I, number one, I am not the audience for a movie tie-in book. I'm really not. I generally no, don't like I. those because yeah. And and this is exactly why I don't like them. One, they retread the story, and two, you know, they're they're bound by what's happened on the film, and it's always going to defer to the film. You're not really going to get a bunch of of nuance and bold storytelling in a movie tie-in comic. Now, I'm not talking about the properties like Star Wars that are telling an expanded universe story or Star Trek doing the same. I'm talking about something that exists between the space of, of two movies or more. And boy, I mean, just this was clunky and terrible. The the scenes where they're retelling what happened in Civil War, the, the film Civil War, mm-hmm. are just terrible. Well, and, 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 you know, I know you didn't finish reading it, but that continues. They retell story, um, scenes from Doctor Strange and Captain America and and Thor. And like they, they that's pretty much all this does is it, right. it this this is a two page story arc or two issue story arc. That just tells you where the Infinity Stones are. That's all it does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it's 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 terrible. It is not worth reading. Um, it's not worth the ninety nine cents I paid for it. No. Since I own those other books that you described. Yeah, and but the other books, if you don't own them, they're fantastic. They're yeah, I know you should read them. Read them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I love. Don't don't get me wrong. I love 
that Marvel's doing this, yes. uh, particularly with the Masterworks, because those Masterworks books have all those wonderful old stories, uh, and you can pick them up for 99 cents. I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah, I really hope fact, that they continue to do that. You know, and I already have Marvel 2 and 1, the uh, first and second volumes. Well, the third volume just came out. It's not previously been in print, Paul. And they debuted it at 99 cents. That's fantastic. And I'm just like, I don't I don't know what you guys are doing, Marvel, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, I wish DC would do something similar. I do, too. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk about what's coming out next week. What's uh, coming out next week, Paul? Dark Knight's Metal number six finally comes out next week. The conclusion of the storyline. Uh, I, I, I will likely be picking that up, Aaron. I shouldn't oh, say I likely. Of hell yes, I'm picking it up. I don't even yeah, know why, but, why I'm hedging. Uh, now yeah, next well, week is a fifth week, just uh, so everyone knows. Which yeah, didn't mean, we just have a five week? It seems like we just did this. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, which means that you know there are less titles than normal coming out next week. But what is coming out uh, is big. Um, Dark Knight's Metal number six, The Terrifics number two, which is the Ivan Rice Jeff Lemire. It's fantastic. I am forward. really really looking forward to that. And what I thought, a book that I thought was coming out next week was Green Lantern Earth One, the uh, the new Gabriel Hardman um, right. book uh, from DC. However, it is available digitally now. Is it really? I thought they were delaying the digital release on it. I thought so too, but perhaps, uh, but it doesn't, it, it, it is available to add to your card on Comixology right now. Um, now, we, what's, we the, t- what's the price? $16.99, which I was hoping for t- between not, 10 and 15 yeah. bucks. Yeah. But I, I, I'll, I'll go in for $16.99. Um, I think that's that's a reasonable price for a book that I know is $25 bucks, um, in the, you know, in the stores. Right. Um, and if you are listening now, uh, which is probably too late, but hey, Aaron, <laughs> there is a big, <laughs> there's a fantastic for sale on Comixology that ends uh, Sunday, March 25th at 11 p.m. Way ahead of you, Chief. Way ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So many good stuff. So many good books in there. I added a lot of FF books to my uh, digital library this weekend. Yeah, it's got some good, those FF, those Hickman. You know, Uh we were talking Jonathan Hickman. Yeah, I'm going to. Now, I wish they were 99 cents for those Mm -hmm. art, for those books. But uh, if, um, but there's some good stuff on here. But yeah, so that's what's coming. That's what we will talk about next week. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up Green Lantern Earth One right now. Uh, but we will definitely be talking about the conclusion of Dark Knight's Metal, the continuation of the Terrifics, and the second episode of Krypton. Plus, our New Gods casting. And if you've got a recommendation for who ought to play a New God, give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you'll want a coveted, valuable, high ideology of madness surprise. Woo-hoo! woo oh, Wait! Also, you can hit us up with your ideas on Facebook, IOM Geek, or yeah, Facebook, IOM Geek, Twitter at Ideology Madness, Instagram at IOM Geek, or email us at ideologyofmadness at gmail.com. And uh, again, if we use your voice or if we use your ideas, you <laughs> could be entered into a drawing to win an Ideology of Madness surprise. Very exciting. Ooh. All right, Paul, will you have a good week? You too, sir. Catch you later. All right. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.